0: Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. Very excited about this conversation. Joe Tessitore, the new voice of Monday Night Football, is in studio with us. Joe Tessitore, of course, also does or calls top-ranked back boxing on ESPN, as well as college basketball. I will not list his resume because uh, it's about 5,000 pages long. He has done should a I lot. Should shorten that up? Or? You should, Joe. You've done a lot uh, at, uh, Joe, you're throwing me off here. You've done, Joe has done a ton <laughs> at ESPN, and we will get into some of that. After Joe Tessa tour, Richard Sandemir uh, is the guest. People know that name in this space, of course, for his longtime work as a sports media writer. We have a conversation, though, about his new book, The Pride of the Yankees, Luke Garrett, Gary Cooper, and the Making of a Classic. Sandemir wrote a book about how that very famous movie was made. We also talk about the end of John Skipper's uh, tenure. At ESPN, John Skipper, one of the prominent figures that Richard Sandemir covered during his 25 years covering sports media at the New York Times. But first, I bring in, in studio, with a- uh, A studio that I love, by the way. You like this, right? It's at a comedy club, which is sweet. I mean, I've, I'm actually stunned that ESPN has let you out of under under the cloak that you've been under for five months. Are you allowed now to finally I am, talk about? But the about last the... six
1: weeks were ridiculous. I know.
0: So th- how weird ridiculous. was that? You you've had this job, you had the Monday Night Football job for a long time, but yet you yes, couldn't talk about. I couldn't talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, that has to talk be insane, it, right? Because
1: we had the clandestine auditions, Rich. Yeah. We we had the flying around the country and flying people in and bringing them
0: in back doors and you know trying to keep it all quiet. All right, so let's start here because this is interesting to me. Who first? You have you had a great job prior to Monday Night Football. You're oh, calling yeah. high level college football. Todd Blackwood, playoffs, Ta- Holly Road, right? Loved Fantas- it. Yeah, Loved it. essentially, yeah. you know the the one A team, if you want to call it that. Um, but at some point, someone approaches you and or your agent about the prospect of calling Monday Night Football. When did that happen? They called
1: my agent, and I have a very unique relationship with said agent. And um, your agent
0: is uh, Nicholas Kahn, I believe. Right? Yeah. of, of yeah, creative King artist Con. agency. Right, correct. This guy's been mentioned on this podcast a few many times, times
1: as I understand. Kaiser no, Sorsa. listen. Here's I'm just about doing my work and and putting my head down and getting after it. And this winter there were a couple conversations, as there always are, with uh, the big bosses of just kind of where are we, where are things going. And I let it be known. Hey, listen, I'm going to do my job for the next couple months. I'm not talking anything specific here. If something you like is there, I give the guy pure autonomy.
0: Right. Okay. He, ta- very, he takes whatever yes. offers, and then one hundred percent. If he thinks it's, it's you, something bro. he'd be interested in,
1: it's he, you. It goes to you. And I said, call me if you feel like you've gotten to the point where there's something we like right. for this next contract, and something you want you want to say yes to. I received a phone call uh, the night before. I then received the phone call. Which was um, I was doing the SEC basketball tournament. In fact, I was doing that incredible Alabama-Texas A&M fantastic finish. Wow. The last so second, we're talking this is March postseason college of- basketball. Right. It was March, and he said, "Hey, tomorrow morning I'm going to call you. I think we've got what we want." Wow. I said, "Great, give me the details. Give me the details." The next day, he called in the morning. I did two college basketball games that day in St. Louis. I was racing to catch a flight to get to LA to call a world title fight on ESPN the next day. I'm literally going through the production truck area in St. Louis, getting out to a black SUV that's going to get me to the airport so I can try to get to L.A. for production meetings to do the world title fight. Phone calls, here's Stephanie Drewley, here's Connor Shell. want you heading up Monday Night Football, new world for you, blah, 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 congratulations, deal is set, the whole thing. I spoke to them before I even spoke to my agent. Wow. And as I'm racing through—I mean, I'm talking to them going through TSA. I realize my career is changing, and this is where we're headed. So
0: what is it—I mean, you obviously cannot turn down Monday Night Football. No, you cannot. It's too iconic a brand. But um, what was the process like for you of just recognizing that you're leaving one—in a sense, you're leaving one career for another, even though it's all part of the same organization. You're now attached—no matter what you think of Monday Night Football, you're now attached to Gifford— Cosell, oh, I am
1: very aware of Tirico. that, Rich. so yes. what Yes, very aware what was of the the, what, How
0: did you process all that?
1: Um, you know what? I don't think there was any uh, processing to do. I, I think that um, for me, and I don't know if I – I think I may speak for many in our business of my generation, of our generation. Um, it, I hate the cliche and the, the hackneyed phrase, it is what it is. It, it is what it is, bro. I mean, you know, it's like – You get the call, it's Monday Night Football, and here you are. Now, processing that, yes, my first thought was absolutely of the legacy of being handed the inheritance and the keys to the car of Monday Night Football. Um, I grew up in a a sports-obsessed Italian-American family in Schenectady, New York, football, boxing, horse racing. I've been very blessed and very fortunate. I have been able to take those passions and turn it into my career. Um, and I've shared this story with a few people, but I'll tell you what what ended up happening. I ended up going back to upstate New York. There was a death in the family. I was at a funeral service. So I was with all my older aunts and uncles and my cousins and, and the typical big Italian wake and, and service and reception. And I was starting to share with people that, hey, this change is happening in my career. And the first thing that everybody said was recounting the story of, you know, I'm the son of an immigrant. You and I have talked about this before. I grew up in an Italian-speaking neighborhood and household and great extended family. My grandparents couldn't speak English. My grandfather, though, and many of people in my family assimilated to American culture by watching sports television. And I used to impersonate Howard Cosell as a little kid in the 70s. (laughs) I used to impersonate Howard Cosell doing Monday Night Football. As a way to get my grandfather to laugh and to interact with him. So, to understand that seed in me and to then be a football obsessed psycho, you know, who goes into sports media and, and have great care for Cosell and, 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 you know, Dandy Don and Gifford and that Keith Jackson was the first voice. And of course, I go on to call ABC and ESPN college football and, and Tarico and Michaels and McDonough and Gruden, everybody that's come before us is very special to me. I can't deny that. And I care for it in that way. You still have a Cosell impression? <laughs> Last <laughs> summer, Greeny and I did Battle of the Network I know. Stars. You
0: got the yellow blazers. We,
1: we had the vintage gold blazers yeah. that were taken out of the mothballs and we put them on with the ABC Wide World of Sports. And we could not stop with the Cosell impersonations. And Greeny does a great one. But we could not stop. And I don't know in this setting of a comedy club I could do one. But I would tell you, Richard Deitch, as we stand here before you, the bullshittery of doing a podcast in this day and age here in a comedy club is below me. The great Howard Cosell. But, Rich, you know, people have said to me. Nice. And people have said to me in recent weeks. What in the world are you doing? Are you like channeling Cosell? <laughs> you, I mean, you, had the, you got the boxing now. You got the Monday Night Football Battle of the Network Stars. What? It is odd because I don't think we have a lot in common. No. <laughs> and I don't know that I necessarily want that comparison, but um, such it is.
0: So when you, um, when the job comes together, you talk to ESPN executives. Um, your agent obviously signs off on the money and the term. Um, has, Sean, has it been announced at that point that Sean McDonough is not returning? Are we past that or no? I, I, I can't remember. Okay, I so, so the yeah. reason I ask that is, is there a certain—is there a time frame where you decide that you want to reach—I know you are oh, friends with that. Sean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've do you—is is it, impor- it important for you to talk to him just to be like, obviously, I have to take this job? How does it work when you're friends with somebody, that person's not doing the job anymore, you're now doing that job? You got to—not necessarily it, clear it, the well, air, it's not but, easy, you gotta, but you got to— but, know, I re- I've,
1: Sean and I have had a very nice relationship right. for many, many years— And uh, I sent Sean an email and, um, you know, and I just said, hey, listen, our our business obviously can cause some unique and awkward situations. We're swapping jobs. All I know is we've had a great relationship for many years and that I want that to continue. And of course, Sean replies, you know, right back within hours, of course, you know, let's catch up on the phone when when we can and whatnot. But during this process, it was very challenging up until yesterday right. to really make some phone calls, be open, talk about things openly and whatnot. But yes, Sean and I communicated by email and, you know, at a very nice exchange. And we will continue to have a great relationship.
0: So just so I'm clear, because it's really interesting. It but it is awkward. Our, the situations, course. our business puts well, both, but but very you, awkward. But you, both of you guys are professionals. So yeah. I feel like you you, you two, given the nature of you two, will make it less awkward, which is good. So when the ESPN executives, Connor Shell, Stephanie Drooly, call you, at that point, they have been told by your agent that it's a done deal, right? When they're calling you, you yeah, haven't. Yeah, listen, gone. I was
1: on air all day that yeah. day doing basketball games. All I know, is things were they, taken care. It's a, it was a done deal. Yeah, what they, they, haven't, me they, saying,
0: they haven't been talking to you for six weeks. Like, try to say, hey, no. Joe, this will
1: be really good for oh, you. Oh no, 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 no! I was just doing, I was just,
0: i doing world title fights and calling
1: college basketball. So you games. really I'm, trust your I'm agent? Sitting with, in I'm that. sitting there with John Calipari every single week. That's you know, amazing. Watching him drink
0: forty ounces of Dunkin' Donuts. Right, I find that amazing. By the way,
1: you've never seen anybody who loves Dunkin' Donuts more than Coach Cal.
0: Is that right? Oh, are they? It is, I, I should know. Is, 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 is that a Kentucky sponsor?
1: I don't believe it is, wow. but it should be. I think it's I from his her. New England roots. I oh. you know. I, you, know, you, I hope you, for his you, sake. You though, spit not in a, any direction in New England, you're going to hit a Dunkin' I hope Donuts, Pete's
0: Coffee, but or you, something. It's not the Kentucky, the University of Kentucky official coffee. You are not a like Dunkin' that. Donuts guy. I'm, I'm both, of course. My wife is from Massachusetts, so I've, I've. Where is she from in Mass? She is from um, where the Patriots play, Foxborough. Foxborough. Okay. So
1: in Foxborough, if I spun you around in any direction and said walk hundred yards, you're going to run into a Dunkin' Donuts. You can You can't
0: miss it. Here's my thing. With they don't Dunkin even donuts. say donuts.
1: It's just Duncan. Yeah, Duncan. Right. America runs on. Right. Here, here's <laughs> my thing, and I, I hope they're not a sponsor of your show.
0: They're not. Pellegrino says no. I but we'll take any stand, sponsor at
1: this point. I cannot stand the styrofoam cups.
0: From Duncan? Oh. But you can get oh, because you're a hot coffee guy. I usually get iced, so it's not an issue. Well, then you go with the yeah, you go with the plastic cup. By the way, well, you, I'm not even a coffee guy. You'll I'm find a, this. I'm inter- an espresso. You'll guy. find this interesting if you ever go as I'm heading to Toronto. Yeah. Well, I y- love Toronto. You. You. you you would you say Dunkin' no, Donuts to them, and they they look at you like no, you're insane. Timbits. It's Tim Hortons. Yeah, it's Tim. Nothing else. Yeah, yeah Timmy's. Now we've talked about this. I, got, I have more family in Toronto than right. I have in New York. Right. But
1: I am so I'm big. Will you Timbits. go into
0: Starbucks and have a Starbucks hot coffee? Can you live with that? I think Starbucks is fine. It's
1: over roasted. My father in law was a coffee roaster his entire oh, so, life.
0: But so you're, you're my, my father in law was one of the most in interesting
1: way. interesting guys you ever met. He's a guy who went to Villanova, played baseball, contemplated He's becoming cool. a wow. contemplated becoming a Catholic priest went to graduate school, had a fellowship to Brown, where he taught English literature, and left that teaching Ivy League literature to roast coffee. Is that your for, phone? That's my Who phone is that right is. there? I it's, want to know you you who know it, is. it is. It's Jim Zeroli.
0: Is it Jim Patar? It's it Jimmy Jim Zeroli. Who's Jim Zeroli? Jim
1: Zeroli is the lead producer for top-ranked boxing on ESPN. He's also the producer of the Bob Wichu's and Brock Heward college football package. What? And you're in New York and because right, of a, you because have boxing we, we stuff. Because we have fighter interviews coming up right. at 1 o'clock. Right. We have production meetings tomorrow night. We're on the air at 8 o'clock on ESPN. There goes Zeroli. That would have been awesome,
0: though, if it was like – Jimmy Pataro or should we call like, him
1: right now should we call Pataro right now I think you want to guessed not. he is would a, deny is, this is call, the call right now it's a, <laughs> yeah, a contract sign that's basically um, but anyways what, what the heck were we talking about you were saying your father Huh? Oh roasting. yeah yeah so he roasts. so he was like a sommelier of coffee roasting. So this right. guy would be able to take the bean like smell it for a second and be like Arabia Blue Mountain Jamaican it needs to roast for 10 right. more seconds blah blah blah. blah, blah. Starbucks but is- Starbucks his rip on Starbucks we lost him about 4 years ago Sorry to lung cancer. He right. was a wonderful man. I named my son after him. John Vincent was his name. And um and he this was his thing on Starbucks. I, I would say, Dad, I said, Starbucks, it always tastes It tastes uniform. It tastes the same all the time. I don't know that I love it. It's got a bite to it. It's a little bitter. He says it's because they purposely over roast it. Why, though? It, here's why. Right. Because what they want is that uniform taste and flavor. But it would be the equivalent of saying, I want a chain of steakhouses, so I'm going to tell my cooks, Every steak is to be cooked well done, so that you can't tell the difference in quality of meat, grade of meat, uh, how it's prepared. Anything. Riches. Think about that, Rich. Think about that the next time you go get a Starbucks. It's over roasted. It's slightly burnt. That's how you get the uniform. T- now, see, now is Starbucks a sponsor of you? No, they're not. This but is, the, but now I, you know I'm a total foodie. I know, I know, but I, like I can. I,
0: I guess I can. If they're if they're in mass production and consumption, I can they understand can't. why roast. Yeah. So that way you get that uniform flavor. Exactly. And taste. So at least your but expectations are the same. They're the same. You know exactly what you're right. getting. You get the repeatability. But you're in any of these big cities. You can go to, you can go to an organic coffee You know, coffee who, house you know who's got fun. all
1: the great espresso, organic, boutique shops? He has like a master list. Take a guess, ESPN talent.
0: Adnan Burke. No, I, I wouldn't just, trust her like as far like, as I could throw him. I just on a like Good dropping Espresso. his name in here. Jesse Palmer, another great Canadian. Jesse Palmer, another great Canadian. He strikes me as a bit of a fancy boy, there, right? Good-looking guy. He's had the Hollywood thing going. You know, I, I doesn't he host a Daily Mail show?
1: He does host a Daily Mail. Jeez. Cash Money Rich. I know. My God. If, if you cash. said to Jesse, Palmer does Jesse right read now, the Daily Mail? Some of the stuff in there is it's, it's, it's a little it's, rough. <laughs> yeah, it's a little salty now. Right. But if you, if I called up Jesse Palmer right now and I named a city in America. And I said, I need an espresso. He would hit that phone. There would be five places come up, go to, you know, 72nd and 4th over here. Wow. Here's the place. Yeah. he's that's got Im- every, impressive. And I'm telling you, college towns, too. No kidding. Small college towns. All right, listen. Ooh, what the hell were we talking This will
0: be about? the worst segue in the history of this podcast, which is only five episodes, so it's not really that big a deal. Let's talk about the audition process. Oh, this should be fun. Because this is fascinating to me. Mm. Um, how many Am people? I, I don't even know what I'm allowed to answer, so I'm just going to be honest you, with you. You have, a, okay. you have the top agent it, you the business. You, you have the top right. agent of business crew, and you have a signed have, contract. We got our crew. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, ESPN's not at the point where they, they've they already paying a lot of people enough money. They don't need to buy you out. Trust me. Uh, how many people were part of the trial process? What was the final count of people who tried out for Monday Night Football's top analyst job? 12. I
1: believe 12. Yes. Okay.
0: 12. We obviously know. Hey, said, there. Lou, he goes 12 before I say 12, <laughs> Lou. right? I, I Come on!
1: I knew that. Please, twelve. All right,
0: so twelve. Um, can you take me as best you can through the process? Yes. Of how, let, let's let's start at the beginning. In who the is, beginning, who is telling you? About this audition process and what are they telling you that your responsibility will be in the process? Well, I
1: know I was infused with the audition process. I was, you know, obviously. Is do, Connor Shell? I'm going to
0: give you a list of here's 12 candidates, Joe. You're going to no, audition it, collectively, all.
1: Collectively, there was a list put together. It wasn't Connor, or Steph Druley, or Jay Rothman, or Lee Fitting. It was collectively. Here's, you know, we're compiling the list and everybody's chiming in, and right. this is the group that we want to funnel towards. And 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 the one thing we just discussed this the other day with our group, I, our leadership was incredible on many fronts in this process because it is not easy to do. This is not easy. When you say we're going to have a blank slate and an open-minded approach and we are going to try to fill one of the premier roles in all of sports television that's going to be highly scrutinized, that has the biggest budget at ESPN, the most ad revenue. I mean, you understand. Obviously, it's it's Madden and Gruden. Right. right? I mean, it's Madden, Gruden. You you understand this. Um, There's pressure on that. And you want to make sure you're doing it right. But we talked about a few things. And one of the things we talked about is trusting the process and being completely open-minded. So if a name comes up, and we know that name because, well, he's done college football, or he had a run doing this, or this is what we think of him here, or this is his prior broadcast experience, forget all that. We're going to be open-minded. We're going to trust the process. And we're going to look for chemistry. Well, when I hear that, I know what that means. I only know one way to do my job, man. It's about cultivating relationships, about trusting in my partner. And it's about letting the three and a half hours on air, or the one hour when we're hosting SportsCenter together, or the 40 minutes we're doing podcasts together, or the hits to be any 40 minutes, or one hour, or three and a half hours you would spend with me during the week. Just like this, right? right? You got to be my dude. You got to be my brother. You got to be one with me. And I got to know what that chemistry fit feels like. So that audition process to me was not just about the one day you're flying into Bristol, the two days you're flying into Bristol, and you're sitting there doing a game with me, and you're doing... It was much more. It was, I'm getting on the phone with you. We're going to talk on the phone for an hour. I want to know about your family. I want to know what motivates you, what makes you You tech. did this with all 12? For the Yeah. is I mean, some guys I had some pre-existing relationships with. Right. But for all 12, it was... And especially the guys I'm getting to know the first go-around, or I only know, you know uh, through distant relationships... It was even getting on the phone and doing a fake podcast with them from my kitchen. It was talking ball with them. It was flying them in the day before, coming to my house or going out to eat. But most of them came to my house right from the airport. Come in, meet the family. Let's open up some good wine. Let's have some great prosciutto. Let's hang out on the kitchen table. Can you survive a five-course Italian meal and talk (laughs) ball until midnight and then get up the next day and do an audition? Because if you can do that, you're going to kick ass with me on the air. Lou wants to be uh, my Lou, producer. Wants to, you should want, have no, seen. I, I mean, you should have seen the spreads
0: that we were putting out. All there, right, well, right, we got I got to keep you focused, Tim. This is focused. important. Focused. I know this you're is, excited. You excited. This is just me, Rich. See, um, so we start yeah. the process. Who's first? First person you did this with? First audition? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, because the New York Post broke the story while we were in the middle of doing the audition. The it's Greg Olson, the Greg Olson, Pro Bowl level tight end of the Carolina comes Panthers. in,
0: comes to meet, goes to the keys. He goes to the house.
1: He did not go to the house. We okay. spent a lot of time on the phone. He okay. was one of the few that didn't come to the house. Okay, and then, but he was in there. And I remember at one point he's turning to me and showing me the phone. And I think you know the story. Somebody missed him at the airport or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Bristol, right. who the heck knows? But
0: nice sourcing. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then he ends up signing a contract, contract. with Carolina to keep on playing. He was
0: great. He was great. He, he was liked it. Yeah, a lot. You think you see success for yes. him? You want this? Yeah. High football why? IQ. Why? Is, high why football will IQ. he be a good athlete?
1: Sees the game incredibly well. Sees the game incredibly well. And once he gets the reps, and once he gets going in his career, yes, very much. And Luke Kuechly is a, is somebody I've had a relation. I'm a Boston College guy. Right, right. I known Luke, Luke since he was 18 years old. Luke and I have talked about that and and how good he'll be. And, and he's yeah, it's there. Okay. Yeah. After so who's the next couple? I can't remember. I just know who the guys were. I can't remember. Rich, I've been nonstop for when, six when uh,
0: uh, when is Whitten? Kurt the Warner process? came in. Kurt Warner. Name um, some of the guys who
1: came in. Hasselback uh,
0: Hasselbeck. Hasselbeck came, it was awesome. Yeah. You like Hasselback. Well, I
1: love the guy. Yeah. He's so likable. He
0: did the Pro Bowl. You know what?
1: He was, yeah. He was did great. The pro- th- I, well, thought I, I thought it was going to be Now, actually. listen. It's interesting. He had done a Thursday night college game in a three-man booth with his brother. Oh, yeah. That's with right. With Timmy. And then he did the Pro Bowl with Sean. And there was a- always something there with him. He was, and I told him this, he was twice as good as when he did his Monday Night Football audition. In the audition. Wow. And you could see growth in the audition. You could see him taking the coaching. You did high foot. So likable there couldn't possibly be somebody more likable. He, he's such a likable guy. And you know, and we've gotten to know each other really well more recently in his retirement as he's moved back to Boston. Yeah. You know, we're up in Boston all the time. My wife and I went up and, and had dinner with, with Matt and his wife, had a great time out on a Saturday night in Boston, and, and uh, awesome guy. He's, I mean, he's already got a great broadcast career, it's just going to continue. Absolutely. I mean, that's
0: not ending anytime soon. Bob Gre- uh, Brian Greasy was one. Phenomenal. He, he was good. Louis Riddick. Phen- Phenomenal. Was did the he the most
1: tra- unique perspective of almost anybody I've heard call a game?
0: Now he, I want to get into this. Yeah, he was on this podcast, and he I was listened very, to it. Very blunt. Yes, he, he was. Wants, he talked, Lou and I talked about that. Yeah. yeah. So and what,
1: Lou and I have spent a lot of time together. I mean, what, the, you talk about like spe- the socialing, right. know Lunch, dinner, the night before, the whole thing. Yeah. So, Lou. So, why? Very what, impressive.
0: To, and when he was doing his tryout, when you say he was the most sort of unique, yes. Boy, what, what was what was unique? Because
1: about him? with Lou. Ex-player, so you get what you expect typically of an analyst, which is the player view. Um, the front office stuff and the knowing the league inside and out uh, yeah. and being able to speak. So not just able to speak to XO, not just able to speak big picture, global, but player development, technique, every, every level. Can speak as a coach, can speak as an ex-player and can absolutely speak as a front office guy, but give you that big global NFL. You, you go in any direction with Lou, it doesn't matter. He, he has so much knowledge, but with these tiered layers of vantage points through his career, I found it fascinating to work with him. Um, Rated out very high. Uh, Rich, I got to tell you, almost everybody who came in.
0: You would have been good with.
1: Yeah. You could, you could walk away and say, now the two that we came away with were the two. Okay, but so Booger auditioned.
0: He auditioned as a in the witten position, in addition to the field analyst stuff.
1: Yeah, well, we we played around with Booger in auditioning because our executives had a a master
0: plan and vision of Uh, what they thought. Okay, so he did. He sort of played on both roles a little bit.
1: Yeah, now it's hard to replicate in the booth what he's going to end up doing, but we worked with a the, the concept of a three man with Booger.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yes. Um,
1: and and Booger and I have you know a long history together, going back to when he was fledgling sports radio in Tampa, and I went through this process with him before. Yeah. Do you remember when we were starting the SEC Network? I do. Yeah, yeah. And Stephanie Druley was kind enough to include me in that process because right. they had well, reached you were out, the lead host basically, right? And right. they had reached out to Brent and myself. Early, um, you know, Brent was going to be the voice of the Saturday Night Saturday, Prime right. Time. I was going to be the, you know, S- SC Na- game SC, day and basically all the right all the ancillary programs. Yes, correct. Right, and which I did for two years while well, yeah, still doing was actually, my ABC
0: ESPN work. Cri- that show did very well. Yes. Uh, cri- We're a very of critical proud of acclaim. that.
1: Yeah, and it's still to this day. I think the show is still a very good Saturday morning. Like I find myself flicking back and forth with Game yeah, Day no, and SEC Nation.
0: I actually think uh, ESPN um, found something really good there. Um, but anyways, Booger,
1: I auditioned Booger. I put Booger through the audition process when he was first
0: hired. Oh, wow. For the for yes, his SEC his for SEC. Oh, so you've, you've, you have a long history with Booger, that.
1: you know, Booger's at my house every time he comes to Connecticut. We're very close friends. You so know, you must be thrilled that he's got this oh, field his job. Beyond
0: thrilled. He's got a great reputation of being a really good dude. He is
1: the most versatile, capable, nimble broadcaster of an ex-player analyst type that we may employ. Right. He is that talented.
0: Other names before. I will eventually yes. get to Witten. Kurt Warner. Excellent. Excellent.
1: Unbelievably prepared. CEO, stately, senatorial, wow. command, dominating audition. F- nearly flawless game broadcast mechanics. Wow. Um, superb.
0: Randy Moss uh, or no? Rex Would, Ryan did,
1: right? So Incredibly proud of Rex Ryan.
0: Okay. Randy Moss tried out or no? Is I wrong? There? I don't know if Randy Moss tried out. Come did he try out without me? Uh, maybe he did. Uh, no, he I'm saying, I don't, honestly don't know. If he didn't try oh, out with you, then he didn't Pellegrino try out. Shout out
1: Pellegrino over in the corner here yeah. at the comic No, no, club.
0: I'm wrong. I am just get, I'm, I don't yeah. know every name. So yeah. Rex Ryan. The, uh, awesome. the ones I'm telling you are the ones I've, I've heard. Rex Ryan,
1: um, I would say starting a month out from his audition, Rex and I probably texted every day. Wow. We were on the phone numerous times a week. Rex flew not the day before audition, flew on his own because I had one single day without an audition or a world title fight or a basketball, whatever, and flew up, spent the day, came to the family restaurant. We had some great calamari, a little, <laughs> you know, we, we, a great— uh, Grilled or fradi- fried
0: from that calamari?
1: Oh, bro, come on. We do calamari <laughs> napolitan. We lightly sauteed in a puntanesca sauce with the capers and the pignoli nuts and the crushed tomatoes and the good. thin sliced garlic. Hey, you know how thin they made the garlic— in Goodfellas, when they use the razor, when they slice yes. it with the that's how thin you want your garlic when you do the calamari nabalitan. So Rex comes up. We eat calamari. We have some great pasta. He, did, he had his pasta in a fra diablo sauce because he wanted a little <laughs> bit of spice there. Um, came back to the house. We watched tape all afternoon. We hung out. What tape are you watching? What's a, what watch him film. We put pop a game in. I press play. I go, come game? on, broadcast with me.
0: Okay. Oh, I yeah. pick a game. All with, right. You Great. know,
1: NFL Gamecast. Right. and I, you know, I I teach him broadcast mechanics. I, I press pause. I say, you see right there. Here's where you need your inflection. Here, here's how you need to make a point. Where's the why? Where's the how? What are you pointing out? He was he put in so much work, and I can honestly tell you, and he
0: would tell you, having watched him last year. Yeah, he I, got he got he was criticized for that first game with Beth. He did not get good reviews. You're saying he's guys like better. you. He was. Yeah, I don't remember the, even even writing that. Right.
1: So elucidate on that. What was the what was critical?
0: Rex did not bother me as much. I think what was clear. First of all, I thought Beth was great. I thought I, I think agree with you. What was um, I think the criticism of Rex was. It, the, the, again, I don't speak for anyone else who was criticizing him. I'm only speaking for me. When I watched that game. I think it was very clear. He just had not had enough reps as a game analyst. I would agree with that. He he did he he didn't find his rhythm until late in the game as to um, how much you can talk between plays, which as you know is very tough in oh, the yes. analyst to figure Economy out. Economy of words, bro. Talked over Beth a couple of times as they went to break again. That's all not working together. Right? They yeah. never worked together. Um, I think early on he uh, the the storytelling aspect got better in the second half when he became more comfortable. So my, I'm not a big. I'm not one who he shits on people. He wasn't even the same person. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying not, I'm not one who shits on people for their first try. And I think what was just clear about the Rex uh, experiment was he just he didn't have any game reps. And without game reps doing an NFL game, even if you were an NFL coach, oh, that's exposed. hard. Yeah, you're exactly. Be,
1: so his audition was great. Okay. And the chemistry was awesome. So, so awesome. far you love everyone. I love Joe Thomas. Oh, he's such a great dude, man. Yeah, another guy but, you love. But, you know, I will acknowledge... And Joe would acknowledge. I think Joe acknowledged this as an statistician. He's like, I'm going to be really good, but I'm really green, <laughs> right? Right. But he's he's very funny, very Rich. funny. Yeah, no, he's very. Now you listen to the Tomahawk podcast. Yeah, so couple times. I, yeah, and they're really really good. But Rich, I would tell you of all the guys, if I said what were the funniest moments, he may have had the two funniest. What moments. were? The, what were? They? There were. The, I can't remember exactly, but there were. Two, there was one moment where he actually he actually said the word poop. In his <laughs> audition, okay, so and there was another where he like compared himself to um uh, compared to offensive lineman to mushrooms, but um he was very very funny. He was very authentic. Um, there were a few times where I remember hitting Jay Rothman, our you know executive yeah. producer of Night Football, and saying, "There's a bit of Madden there. Like you can you right. can unearth this. The Madden is there here, and somebody will. He's gonna have a. He already. You can see it happening. He's a media darling. He's a
0: I should have I should have asked you the the audition process is that is in a Bristol studio somewhere? You guys Yeah, it's in a
1: Bristol it's in the same booths that we would call, say, if we were voice overing an international broadcast. Okay. So tomorrow night when I'm calling this world title fight, there'll be the Portuguese broadcast. So a nice big booth, huge monitors, the heads you feel like you're So the producers and the directors, people are watching. They're in another control room just like they would be calling a game. And yeah. what is the game you guys call the playoff game? We called the Titans Chiefs. Oh my God! AFC by by your 12th game. edition, you must. Groundhog's <laughs> Day. Bill Murray calling. Right. The, yes.
0: Ned, Ned. I forgot what Bill Murray's character was. Ned what something. Was it? Do you I remember? I'm look that up. Wikipedia. Let's get on it. Yeah. Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. No, no, that's the guy. With Murray. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Find that low. Yeah. Um All right. So who,
1: Murray's not up this this wall here of of comedy legends. Albums.
0: All right. Before I have, uh, we're saving Whitten for the end. Who else yeah. did I miss?
1: Um. Who else did you miss?
0: There's a couple people there are you intentionally not well who did,
1: who was reported on
0: warner, jared allen was reported jared allen i don't i mean are you not allowed to say who wasn't it you don't want to say who was who see, that's I what i want. Jared i don't jared, want to jared allen anything, but, I mean, everybody uh, should be proud that they, that Warren, they warner
1: jared allen showed up jared allen comes in from the airport and i pick him up and he's got a 10 gallon hat on and rattlesnake <laughs> cowboy boot now you of course he's 6'6 265 right. pounds and i go come on man let's go down to my house and grab some beer we'll you know have a couple apps talk some ball we walk in And you know, I'm sitting here in my suburban Connecticut home and and you know my beautiful 15-year-old, you know, prep school daughter who just got done playing squash at Yale walks in, and there's a (laughs) six foot six former NFL all pro wearing a cowboy hat and boots in her in her kitchen. She's looking at me like, Dad, you are the you have the craziest friends. But uh, it was fun. When we went out to—we went to a very fine Italian restaurant in West Hartford that night with Jared Allen just to have fun, loosen up, and get to know him really well and get ready for the audition. We had to have a separate chair just for his hat, Rich. That doesn't happen in West Hartford, Connecticut often. <laughs> Charles Woodson? Was he part of the process? I, I did not see you did Charles not Woodson. Brett Favre? I did see Brett Favre.
0: That was reported. What—how uh, was that? How One that of the go? best
1: storytellers I've ever—maybe the best storyteller I've ever been around in my life. Really, and maybe the most rewarding cultivating of a relationship, of being around a megastar, an absolute megastar who doesn't have to do anything in his life other than love on his family and be contented, and getting him to a place of let's trust and let's at least exhaust the possibility of where could we go here. That was more up tipping your a, a dipping your toe in the water than it was what the other auditions. Do you think are,
0: he will eventually do this? He first of Parts. all, he doesn't have to. He certainly doesn't have. Well, I mean, listen, a lot of guys don't have to. His, Peyton Manning you, wouldn't have to, right? Brett Favre, yeah, but Tom you,
1: Brady wouldn't have to. I listen. I've I have been to you know Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and have gone through the gates of the estate and realized, you know, I've been there numerous right. times and have seen his life and understand uh, what drives him and what fuels him. He, he's very contented in life. All right, let's get to Whitten. And by the way, he was awesome to deal with in the process. Okay, you liked him. All right, yes. Good. Uh, Let's get to Jason with big number eighty-two. You're like Kofi
0: Ho- or like not? It's it's all diplomacy here. Uh, no, no, that's not that's everybody- not true. I
1: I I'll be honest with you and tell you. You know. I, you Joe want you Thomas, to, I was honest in telling you, I think Joe true, would even right. admit that he's- you know, Did you
0: take notes on all this? Did you did give- Did I take notes? Did you give, I did uh, grading sheets. i did summations So you, and you gave Drewley- Who do you give your summations to? We as a group, we collectively oh, you, you, gathered. And you there sit was a, and talk. So was, it's we, Rothman, the executive producer. Yes, of course. Fitting, Jay Rothman, yes, has a Lee critical fitting, role. All Stephanie all Drewley, Connor Schell, Jimmy Pataro, we all have a- Pataro was part of it, those conversations. Well, I think we report
1: up to him, to Jimmy. but it was the leadership group was excellent in that everybody- Heard we we didn't jump to any conclusions. Right, we let the whole process take its course, and by doing that, we landed on what we landed on. With if we hadn't done that, if we went in with these thoughts that well, this guy's already done games on NBC and he's very established, and this right. guy over here is one of our stars already on TV, and he's a we had to be open-minded and see the possibility, and not ask ourselves. Who are we hiring to do Monday Night Football right now? If I had a gun to your head and you had to go on the air right now, who would you choose to do Monday Night Football? That's not what this was. Right. Who do you want to do Monday Night Football? September 10th. And
0: for the next five years. Right. And ten years. And, yes. So, Jason Witten, take me through the entire audition. He comes to Bristol first or comes to your house i I've been on the
1: phone with him numerous times before that. Really? Okay. We had already established a relationship And we had already worked on the phone significantly. What did
0: you do by work? You mean like you do practice podcast practice We would do
1: podcasts. We would talk ball. We would get to know each other. We would talk about the philosophy of game broadcasting, the mechanics Uh. of game broadcasting. Endless texts, emails, phone calls. By the time he got to my house, it was, you know— Did you make that
0: investment because you thought some pretty maybe early on that this guy could be the guy? No, I made that investment as much as I could with every single person. Okay, so that's just your process.
1: And I said to every single person, I will give you as much of me as you need, and I would ask of you to not hesitate and not be bashful in taking up that offer. You can come to my house. You can be on the phone with me anytime you want. You can text me, anything, no question. I'll answer every single thing. And those who took advantage of that auditioned very, very well
0: because you knew that was the indicator that they wanted it bad.
1: It was a big indicator, but yeah. also it showed up in the results.
0: Yeah. Okay, so
1: Witten Witten comes down. He's he's he he's es- in the afternoon. He's
0: established all that with yeah. you. Does he first come to Bristol or come to the Tessator Mansion? Straight to my mansion? house. Straight okay. to my house. So he he, he's, he gets he he's he's at the Tessator Estate. wherever House that is. house. Okay. Yes. Sorry.
1: Humble home. House. In New Haven County. Right.
0: Only Conn has an estate. So he comes, um
1: Yes. He comes, he comes in. He comes with a bespoke sport coat and Hugo Boss pants and a beautifully <laughs> pressed shirt. How he how you get off a plane looking like that? He looks like, he looks like a million bucks. He's a big guy, right? Six six? Dude, he's Captain America. Yeah, he is. He when does. he steps in a room, it's it's Captain America. Just give him the shield and it's wow. ridiculous. Right. He's six And six. he's still in playing because he's not sure he's, he's still gonna, gonna is, stop. You, yeah. 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 He's chiseled, he's Handsome. He's like, it's like, it's part John Wayne, part Captain America walking through the front door. (laughs) He comes in, he meets my wife. He's warm, he's engaging. He never talks about himself. He wants to know everything about us. He's complimentary of our home, of, you know, and my wife's got enough appetizers to feed like a small Italian wedding. And he's right in. What do you want to drink? We open up a good cab. He's got the prosciutto. He's got the Tuscan Molotarno cheese. We're (laughs) rocking and rolling. We're talking ball. We're laughing. We're asking about the kids. He's showing us pictures. You feel it, Rich. You know when you can hang with somebody or you can't hang with somebody. So you liked him. I mean, you liked him on the phone, but you really liked him in person. In person, it was like, it's there, right? right? So then, But this is the funny part. And this is the story I'll probably tell for the next 20 years. So... My son plays prep school football. He's going off to play college football. Right. He's got his boys, right? They're always together. They're lifting. They come over the house. But my pantry runs out of food three times a week because <laughs> of this crowd, right? So all of a sudden, uh, here comes the SUV, and he's got the the filled with the guys that just got done lifting, and they come in, and now Jason Witten's in my kitchen. So you got all these. Did these, these guys 18, know Jason Witten? Yeah, in the kitchen? Come on, man! No, no, no they no. 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 My my son may have because right. he but probably's they, like, hey, whose dad got in today? Right, but um. So they come in, and now you got all these 18-, 19-year-olds, soon-to-be college football players, and it's Jason Witten. Right. And Jason being so gracious and realizing what's happening. They gather around the island, and he's holding court, and they're asking him everything, and he's being very kind and, and generous with his time. And at one point I take John's, probably made 10-, 15 minutes in. I'm like, listen, let's grab one picture just so the guys have a picture, and then go take the boys out. Pete's on me just to, you know, I want to work with Jason. Right, like, right. yeah, hey, guys, one picture, Boom. Hey, guys, Mr. Witten, thank you so much You're leaving. They're halfway out the garage, and Witt yells out, Boys, you got a ball in the garage? What are you kidding me? <laughs> Grab a football. It's like a misty rain. Witten's in his beautiful slacks. The bespoke sport coat's off. He's out on the front lawn. Now, we got one of the kids. who's like is a, a quarter- second son yeah. to me. Joe Young, he's a quarterback. He's going to Harvard. He's going to Harvard. Is he We're playing very there, or proud is he Playing for Harvard or just... Don't play, uh, he's going to play football also at Harvard. He's legit player. This guy's like my second son. He's at yeah. my house all the time. He's a legit player. Joe yeah. Young. Grew up in a uh, single mom, Pennsylvania. Came to prep school with us for one year. He's, he's a part of our family. We're very proud of Joe. Right. And he goes, Joe, get you... He, but he remembers everybody's first name. Right. He remembers every position that everybody told him. they played. What's play. your son's position? My son is a specialist. He's a kicker punter. Now, he's played everything, but he was recruited as a kicker wow. and punter. Yeah. Mom likes that, Rich. I so like that. John's going up. my son's going on to play... At BC, Joe's going on to play at Harvard, so they'll be five minutes apart, which is really nice. And um, Witt says, "Joe, get your arm warmed up. Let's go." So now Joe's warming up with the other guys, and then he says, "Buck, let's go. Line up. Press coverage." Buck <laughs> is the defensive back. Right here is Jason Witten on my front lawn. He's got with shoes Buck, on, or with shoes on, with shoes on, in slacks <laughs> and, a, and a dress shirt. That's great. And Buck is up there in press coverage, and he's running a nine route, a fly, a go route against it. And Joe Young's putting this thing downfield, run it back, run it back. Incompletion. Incompletion. I go, Joe, you got an all pro here. You got to hit the guy. So I huddle them in. I go, listen, I want you to run a dig here, an in-cutting route. You know, a dig. We Give him something, right? Right. Presses up again. I so and go full with him. Show him what it's like to be up against an NFL (laughs) all pro. And Buck Burns, who's a really good, he's being recruited right now, really good defensive back. And Buck's wearing a sweatshirt, and Buck's in athletic stuff. They just got done lifting. He's got right, know, right. sneakers on. He's ready to go. 17-year-old kid, right? Away. Yeah, 18- 18-year-old right. kid. He's ready to go. And with one swipe in release, he swipes with his and swipes with his right hand and literally rips his sweatshirt <laughs> across like the Incredible Hulk, beats him to the inside. Joe Young hits him in stride, 15-yard completion on the <laughs> testator front lawn claps hands, boys, this was great. We'll see you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Not five minutes later, he's inside, a glisten of sweat. The cab's back in his hand. He's eating prosciutto. He's reaching for
0: the mulleturno cheese. Nice. Like, just like that. I love that that kid now. You could
1: have brought the contract out right there, <laughs> Deitch, and just signed it right I there, I love that man. that
0: kid now has a story for the rest of his oh, life. Oh, they, they love it. How Jason Witten basically took yeah. him for a 15-yard Ripped completion. his sweatshirt. <laughs> He'll probably wear that sweatshirt all through college. That's great. I love that. That's all it. right. So Witten, all right, he does the whole taciturn thing. Yeah the auditions the next day great a great great impression captain america the next day he comes he obviously goes to espn i'm sure yes. they had all these guys meet the brass and stuff right well, we had a bre- we had a
1: breakfast with jay rothman and right. chip dean the venerable p- director of monday night right. football
0: right all right so you so you you do all the, the 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 executive stuff Yep. and then is the audition process is it like a th- it's the whole game it's a oh, three-hour process oh yeah it's legit. okay what do you do in the audition during halftime and breaks you just well, same we thing. Do, we started with a podcast. Okay, we did a forty-minute podcast on the game, or we just on football. A global,
1: game, a big picture, big picture NFL okay. offseason. They just
0: want to see how he how he's what, off the what cuff. What right, quarterbacks coming up in the yeah.
1: draft. Do you like free agency winners and losers? Gotcha. All that stuff. Yep. And then we do a full open, a full open to the game, a Sports Center style oh, on oh, camera okay. open to the game. Right. Then we do the game. We do a halftime reset on camera. Oh, we wow. do the second half. We do a post game.
0: Oh, that's right. That's a no, long we, day. Yeah, we, that's a legit you, broadcast. You have legitimately worked a day on air with me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So what? Um, I think um, if I'm correct about this, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but m- the feeling I get is that there, whether it was Warner or Hasselbeck or some others. They may have been more polished than Witten because they have far more reps on there. Oh air. yeah, they have a
1: broadcast career.
0: But there was must have been something about Witten that oh, all yeah. of you were like, yes. This guy may be a year from now, two years from now, he could really be great. So what, well, what I think was I he it? could
1: be. I think generationally he absolutely can be the NFL broadcast. Okay, so why?
0: why? What 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 happened I, I in can that tell room? Tell everything.
1: Yeah, go like, ahead. So first of all, you you look for the ability to have football IQ but be able to bring it across to the fans, make it digestible, um, and, and do it quickly. He naturally has that. as A lot of guys have this, but the ability to pre-snap based on formation, based on yeah, look, based does. on everything, yeah. see it, know it, and be able to tell you, expect this, look for this, this could happen, this gives you something to foreshadow, gives you something to look for, both offensively and defensively. Typically, you get that out of an erudite former coordinator who becomes a head coach or a masterful longtime quarterback. You don't usually get that out of a position player because they're just concentrated and staying in their lane. Right. A tight end who's played in the league for 15 years, who has made 11 Pro Bowls, who's, who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, who you start to realize the more you dig in on Jason Witten, you know who really was running the Dallas Cowboys the last 15 years? You know who was really the glue, the captain, the guy? It, it was Jason Witten. So so a lot of things I told you about Lewis Riddick, a lot of the things I told you about Rex Ryan, a lot of things I could tell you about Kurt Warner are all rolled up into one in Jason Witten. The incredible perspective to see it all and know it all. He sees it all and knows it all, offensively, defensively, game management, game strategy, head coaching strategy, big picture, roster management. 15 years with the Dallas Cowboys in that fishbowl, being who he is, natural born leader. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he sees it all. He's got an incredible football IQ. He's extremely likable. If you talk to anybody in the Dallas—did you watch the retirement press I conference? I did. It was amazing. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, have not, you ever I, heard I, a, an owner
0: or a head coach yeah, have more I, emotion? I, I, I never him. know how I feel about Jerry Jones. Sometimes I have great admiration for him. Sometimes I'll be blind. I think he's full of shit. Yeah. But that day, that was uh, so, just genuine okay. as hell. He is as
1: as beloved because of how sincere of a person he is as anybody— and sometimes that doesn't come through on TV. Sometimes, Rich, you could be a really good guy, and that doesn't pop on TV. It
0: pops on TV for him. He's very likable. When when was the... And the Whitten, chemistry was perfect. When was the Witten audition in the process of all the others? Early, late, About the three-quarter point, I would okay. say. Three okay, so there were a couple to, more after him. Yeah, I think there were a couple more after him. But oh, you know what was interesting?
1: Booger and Witten were back-to-back. Oh,
0: that is interesting.
1: And it was the breakthrough... 36 hours of the process. Okay. Um,
0: When the process is over— Well, I'll tell you another thing. Go
1: ahead. About both those auditions. I felt like I may have had my best performances with those two. Now— Which is very important. Exactly. Not because of grading myself No, no,
2: no.
0: Because they can allow for, they can bring out the best Best in you, right? Which is, it's usually the, it's always about can the play-by-play person bring out the best in the analyst? It's usually not about the other way, or no one really mentions it publicly, but it's it's as important. As important, yeah. We um, so Whitten does that great audition, goes home. Can you take me to the end of the process when you are? Does everybody sit in a room and go through all twelve candidates? How does it? How does it? How did it get from? The discussion of everyone to, we're going with Whitney McFarland. We were asked—now, I graded out every
1: candidate. Right. I had a grade sheet. Um, We were asked to deliver our top tier. Okay. And we were asked to be able to say why.
0: Did everybody sit in a
1: room and do it publicly? Um, Or did you just email We did both on email and we sat in a room. Right. Yes. And then there was a thought of, um, I think everybody started coming to the conclusion of— boy, there were two guys who we love and what would it be like to see what that chemistry would right. be together? So
0: obviously McFarland and Witten were the two yes. guys, right?
1: And we then did a, a repeat of The Dinner at My House you with who with, oh, yeah. with both guys the current crew the monday night the now monday so witten flew back yeah to do it again oh, and wow. so did Boog. wow Boog flew back in it's almost
0: like a second interview kind of thing yeah. right
1: yeah. now Boog has a has like a card that he punches every time he comes to my house and he gets a free <laughs> right. meal after he's, his 10th he's, he's been there <laughs> right. a lot right. yeah right but yeah but we hung out together just or we did the whole thing was uh lisa there too uh, Lisa was not there. Lisa's okay. the incumbent, and Lisa, right, <laughs> Lisa right, didn't right. have to worry about this process. Right, right. Lisa, so you three right. guys—was
0: Rothman there and some of the other? Yes, Rothman
1: okay, okay. was right. at dinner. Some of our executives were at dinner, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so
0: everybody sort of, sort of seen. Yeah, everybody came how to the, the house
1: again, well. and um, more bottles of wine, more right. veal—you know, with the prosciutto and the eggplant on top. Is your contract signed in, uh, at this point? Yeah, my contract. Fantastic. signed. Yeah, yeah, you think I'd be talking to you yeah. and, and risking you, everything if my contract was signed? You could you. I was going to say you could undercut my entire. You could charge the
0: dinner to Patara. Yeah,
1: is your contract for Toronto signed?
0: Yes. Is it? Yeah. Both contracts, The Athletic and nine. Oh, and science. congratulations on Thank The Athletic. You, yeah, yeah. you know,
1: Stewart's a very dear friend of mine.
0: Mandel is, is like, he's a, a huge fan of yours.
1: I love the guy. Was he
0: the first guy to write about the Test Effect, or was there somebody else? Because uh, I know he. he
1: Either sta- Staples. It, the Test Effect started on one of those Twitter. Guys? On Twitter. In like But those guys wrote about it a lot in SI. Yes, they yeah. did. Well, because Staples is out of his. Yeah mind. they
0: flag waved that thing. So
1: like it, I'm in the middle of a game all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up if a game is going to overtime because Staples is hashtagging Tess effect everywhere. Right, right. Um it but the first big feature was Stewart as the first big SI feature, yeah, maybe in like 2010 like or 20. Yeah, he came. Right. He came up to Connecticut for a week that's and right. hung out. We, yeah,
0: you know, we did everything. He just was in the car
1: with me for like three days.
0: Well, those guys foreshadowed because you know that you had some amazing finishes even after those guys wrote about that. That's stuff. That's correct. You know, and it, it's yeah. like the SI jinx; it plays upon itself. Right, let's Once keep people, that thing going. Yeah, what's well, great for you? Let's go with Monday Night Football. If Monday Night Football is opening, if the game, Rams and Raiders go know, to overtime, dice, you have you're going to have a you're you're going to be bored <laughs> under a, a gray cloud. All right, so so the everybody comes back with the second God, interview. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. great. Chemistry at At that point was everybody's like, this is our team.
1: No. no we no. we got we, together got again together and did again. another audition.
0: Another audition? Yes. But this time together. Yes. So at that time it's you, Booger and Jason, are you all in the same room? Yes, because
1: we we don't have a stadium, so, so we, you can't can't the a booger, right. we can't have a field. No
0: Lisa there, just 3-3 three, three at the
1: moment. No, well, I mean, got, she's, she's in She's Lisa Salters. Okay. You've got enemies got all over I the place it. in I the, the house, and you don't have to
0: worry about it. You know? So the second audition obviously must have went great, and then everybody knows this is the team? Or no?
1: We felt very, very confident.
0: In terms of time frame, when was that second audition? Was I can't that April? remember. I, yeah, it was within, you know, Co- okay. uh, I don't know, what are we, May was today's date now? May 11th? Right. Something like that? Now, here's yeah. the last one, because I because I, I know you have to go and we have to go soon. They, we run out of time, Lou? So, Lou's, no. Lou's, Lou, Lou, Lou says we He just literally texted me and so no. we're running out of time. Did, did you say that, Lou? He gave me the, the sign. Yeah, yeah. He, now he's playing you. Um there seemed to be, at least in public reports, that Witten at a certain point was maybe reconsidering, like he was, the pull of the Cowboys was great. So was he struggling? Well, I don't think
1: there was a reconsidering as much as he wanted to be fair to the process of okay. communicate to everybody who had been involved in his life and career. So okay. he's going to have the major sit-down with Jason Garrett. He's going to that had have.
0: Not ha- you had, he had the audition first, then he has to still have these well, sit-downs. I,
1: I think he was very open and honest with, Coach Garrett and Jerry Saying through that the this process. this is a great opportunity for me. I got to go. But then for it. once it got to the point where, and you should have Jason on it. I some will mention.
0: Well, you've only, you're the first guy they've led under wraps. They still got <laughs> right. Whitney and Cellophane or whatever. So.
1: so there was another network who was pursuing him. <laughs> right. He wanted to be fair to that process. There was the Cowboys, who, first and foremost, that was going to be right. his, his main concern. And until he had every conversation, including with his family. Yeah. He, so, you know.
0: So there was a process. I, I think that what happened.
1: happens now, the news cycles are so quick that there's that, there's it's four or five days and we're waiting to see what happens and the NFL draft is coming and do the Cowboys draft a tight end, blah, 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 blah. Right. That
0: it becomes hyper warp of what's Jason Witten going to do and what's going to happen here and how's it going to happen, you know. So when did you find out officially that the team is Joe Tessitore, Jason Witten, Booger McFarlane, Lisa Salters? Uh, When did I find out officially? Because he, after the NFL draft. After the NFL draft, and how does and how do you find out? Does some does an executive call you and say, "Joe, here's what I was in
1: a I was in a meeting at ESPN that day, okay. going through some things with you know Monday Night Football executives, and we got the word that right. we've got a done deal. Yeah, because
0: at a certain point, this is just a, I feel like a logical guess. Jimmy the, Pitaro, the president of the company, has to sign off. Of course, on it. he does. Right. Yeah. And I wonder Jimmy if even, Connor and Steph Drewley. And I wonder even if the NFL has to sign off on it. Not that I, they have I, a decision. I do not in
1: believe that's the case. Okay. but I would. But I would tell you that— It's a courtesy, like, they a, let people know that— Oh, I think we have a—our our new regime yeah, and our new world order has a, a very healthy relationship right. with Park Avenue. Right. And I, I think—I'm sure things are communicated. But I would tell you from what I understand, both internally and externally, that the Booger Witten booth— is viewed very positively by Park Avenue. Not just to mention,
0: Je- Jerry Jones is an influential guy oh. in the media, and he now one of his sons is basically on air. He's go love go that. be
1: John Wayne. The exact words he said to him. Right. Go be John Wayne.
0: Um. Last name before we get you out of here. Yeah. Now from now May through September. Right. What will is there any kind of boot camp with oh you and Witten and McFarland? Well, we're what's working that, every day? What's we're that going to be like?
1: we have we're doing a retreat at a beautiful wow. New England, you know, spot on the ocean where we're just going to we're going to dial in and watch tape and nice. we're going to go away and have Rhode Island little necks and you know, have a good time and just watch tape. So you guys are going to
0: summer together. We're going to summer together <laughs> at the
1: Cottage that. Rich. Uh, we're going to I'm sure I'll be down in Dallas, I'll be down in Tampa, okay. we're going to get together elsewhere. We've already got video clips circulating around of examples of different things we talked to. We've been working every single and day. And
0: that'll exist until game one.
1: We started this We started this week with—we you know we were on the phone. I was probably on the phone with Boog uh, nonstop one morning. Witten, I had a 90-minute phone call, and then collectively we had a two-hour phone call to start the week on Monday. Great. There's not a single day where we're not texting the three of us. On, and it, sometimes it's just— you know, busting
0: chops. But this you know, last but this night is, it was busting chops. This is how good. this is how great uh, teams form, though. You have to have that off. It's rare. This is that the you, only way we know how. It's to do rare it. that you can have the Cosell hates the other guys in the booth and still have a fascinating booth. It almost no, never happens. Is, Not in today's world.
1: This is going to be a really fun. I'd be shocked if you don't describe this as hey, a
0: smart, credible, passion-based booth, but fun. Do you? Joyful. Do you? Um, the one thing that was interesting with Romo, and part of this was. Yeah. Um, because of uh, scheduling, he didn't have many exos exhibitions heading into his first game. Oh, we will have a. Lot. You will have some, right? Yeah, I think that's really good. We have our August good.
1: schedule. I, I can't talk about it other than the two games so, around ESPN. But okay, so we, by the time September 10th, Gruden's return against right. you know the Rams, the win-now Rams, I would tell you we would have done five full live on in air. stadium games. Some will be on air on some national will be, TV. Some, will, be some will not. Yeah, right. And easily double digit other games either in a vo booth or some other way, it will be the equivalent of almost being mid season to late season. It won't be. It will not be a week I one. I think that's
0: really smart. I I, I did. And the st- guys
1: want it, Rich. Yeah, I those mean, those guys are like, I'll work as much as you want. Well, the Just one. Tell thing, me where to get on. Speaking
0: plane. of Rex, I went to Cleveland to spend the day with Rex and Beth when they were doing a practice game, yeah. on the, you know, the Monday night crew, the normal crew was there. Right. And those guys just were in an auxiliary booth. Sure. Just going through the process. That stuff's invaluable for new of analysts. Of course it is. Just, Just even just seeing the they're not. They're on the field. They're not used to even right. the sight line of how they call a game.
1: It's like when you used to sit at your vanity and talk into the mirror, saying, "Someday I'll do a podcast.
0: Someday I'll be on with yeah. Joe Tassator of right. uh, Schenectady, New York." And there, and now we have reached this. All right, listen. I wish I could. I could do another three hours with you on college football, horse racing. You have no desire battle. to Battle of the do Network that. Stars. We've got I got w- too much listen, to talk about I love with Monday Night racing, Football, as you know.
1: I do too. Yeah, I would. I'd you love know who? Be. You know who texted me well wishes last night about Monday Night Football? To- Todd
0: Pletcher, the great wow. trainer. Well, that's He's such a good it's, dude. It's a, that's a, uh. What'd you think of um? You think of the Derby, yeah. Um, it looks like so, it Looks like a Triple Crown. I, no, I know you can no. never predict it, but it looked like the real horse. Yeah, like the real I mean, you never know what happens because right. the
1: five weeks is always a great. And the concern. Belmont to stay always, healthy, and then the mile and a half, yeah, a Graveyard, of Big Sandy, yeah. you know, and we'll see what happens. I was there. there you gotta, big Brown say, was there. I was the broadcaster on that's ABC. Right. I, I know was the you were. What a mess! In fact, if you ask me. What, what was the one moment in your career live on air where you couldn't believe what you were broadcasting? It's the set, the ABC set, trying to get. Now, keep in mind, the Triple Crown back then was still. Oh my God, we haven't. Seventies well, I mean, exactly. Confirmed. And, and I look over my shoulder on my right, and I see him eased up. He's. Ten yards, yard's away fun. from me, he Up. Yeah. And we got twenty million people watching. And we got one hundred twenty thousand people in the grandstands next to me. And we built this thing up for five weeks. ABC biggest rating. We're out doing Celtics Lakers. And the horse is right next to me. No longer racing.
0: I know it was. I I will never forget. I do. I have the not. The day co- Jim McKay died. Oh, is that right?
1: The wow. morning. That morning, Jim McKay that. passed away.
0: I I don't cover a lot of horse racing. But I was sort of helping Laden and Mark Beach, our two riders out there, and I will never forget Big Brown, you know, sort of stops on the track. Yep. The assist, assistant trainer or the horse walker, or whatever that position is. Yeah. They're taking him back to the barn the groom. and the groom, and there is literally a hundred reporters just oh. following. I've I never...
1: It was like the mystery that had to be solved, crazy. which, by the way, still to this day... Yeah, yeah. I, mean, those, those <laughs> were, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those owners You uh, need to write that book. Yeah, uh, I uh, mean, those owners were tricky. Hey, you need uh, to go to Woodbine when you get up to Toronto. I heard it. It, That's it, my spot now. Is that not the last... Woodbine, place? that's where I go with my cousin Jimmy, Jimmy. My cousin Jimmy when we go up there. Is that
0: the last place Secretary Ra- secretary? Yeah, race? Yeah, in
1: the Canadian...
0: How did you know that? How I did love you know horse that? Racing.
1: Hey, if anybody wants to YouTube one of the greatest pieces of sports film you'll ever see, YouTube... The October Canadian International of Secretariat at Woodbine in the cold weather with the steam Last coming race. out of his blaring nostrils. Correct. And he won. He won. Who, he I won. do not know who was on him, Lou. You know job, you Pri- prior to... Lafayette Pinkay? Nope. You know no. Who was it that Eddie day? Maple. Oh, my God. Do you know how much I loved Eddie Maple? In the Eddie Maple's Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. Eddie yes. Maple.
0: Everybody was a Cordero guy. I was an Eddie Maple guy. I loved, I loved Eddie that. Maple. All right, listen. We're going to end it on that because... Uh, you never get an Eddie Maple reference no. anymore. All right, Eddie Joe- Maple doesn't even get Eddie Maple references <laughs> in his own house. All right. Joe Tessitore is the new voice of Monday Night Football. He's also uh, he's the he's the Chamber of Commerce when it comes to all new ESPN hires. They have That's to true. now go through his house, eat his prosciutto, and, and clearly run an out pattern against his yeah, exactly. son's friends. And press coverage. To see if they can get uh, yep. the job. Uh, he's still doing top right boxing. He's still doing college football. What do you mean, I'm still. I'm passionately doing. it like, like it's doing. lingering in my no, career. Exactly. Something yeah. an, an appendage is, that I'm hoping that somebody work. removes. Right. And obviously, you all know him from his uh, his great college football work and uh, stuff in the SEC. He's one of obviously ESPN's great play-by-play announcers. He's always a good guy. And uh, I've always. I've been I, transparency. I've been trying to talk to him about this forever. <laughs> and to his credit. He has not given up anything. I have. Well, I'll I, be very blunt with the audience. I have tried to use yeah. him as a source for this story. Nope. He gave up nothing. And I think but part, I told you. But part of the reason you're here is it, because you, 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 I think admired at least my persistence and the interest in no, the story.
1: I, I admire you, and I've long in appreciated your work, and I've told you that for many, many right, years. Yeah, I think I don't, you're very I, fair. I, I, I don't like compliments. I, think, I understand that, but I think you're very fair. Thank you. And I think you're very well respected in Thank our industry. You. And I told you I will not tell you anything during this process. But right. when the process is over. I will be with you. Yeah, process, I, I, process trust ended me, yesterday. There's some people hate me.
0: That's Ben's and some others. Anyway, all right. Listen, Joe Tessitore, and I, by the way, it, no, bull, we're sort of sticking here. But all bullshit aside, thank you for coming in. You've oh, come into the studio, yeah. and you have revealed stuff that a lot of people in the business don't reveal because the audition process is a little sacrosanct. You want that? It that's is. a business. Yes, that's that's the business of the business. And I think it's real. I think people will really appreciate you coming in and giving. The behind the scenes, because like these decisions do not come in a vacuum. There's a lot of investment in figuring out who's going to be part of this multi-million dollar property.
1: They're very difficult, and decisions it seems to like if, at and you least feel the pressure of them.
0: Objectively, to me, I feel like ESPN as a company did a really good job here. You guys, that's nice
1: of you to say. Yeah, I'm just
0: saying you 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 took you didn't you didn't hire someone on reputation. You went through the process to we see did. who could do it.
1: Open-mindedly, we did, and you have to have great leadership to allow you to do that. And we d- we did.
0: And on this one, I think we did. I-, I think you're going to get rewarded. Stephanie,
1: Jimmy, and Connor, and Lee and Jay were excellent in allowing me to play the role I played and to come to this conclusion.
0: All right, I'm going to allow the praise of management here yes. because it seems genuine. It, no, it's it truthful. Genuine. It is genuine. All right, Joe Tessator, follow his work. You'll see him on Monday Night Football. He's got the Rams and Raiders. He's got Gruden's back, uh, debut back that in the NFL. That won't be interesting at all, uh, Rich. I'm looking forward to that. The late game. Well, but it's Rams. The A crew is the late game. Yeah, I but, love I mean, that. mean, Rams
1: Raiders. That's that's the best game You don't of have any weekend. scoop on who's
0: doing the early game, right? I don't know. It's going to be Bath and somebody. That's my prediction. I don't know. Who. I, I think that's a fair. I shouldn't say that, yeah. but she. I thought she was great last yeah. year. Hasselbeck, yeah. Mowins and Hasselback. Mowins and Riddick. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Joe, thank you. Oh, thank you, Rich. It's always in. great to visit with you, man. And, uh, and good
1: luck in Toronto. Thank you. I got to hook you up with my cousins now.
0: I, I know I need any kind That's an of interesting uh, food crowd recommendations, and Toronto's oh, a great trust me. Toronto's a great Mississauga,
1: food city. Mississauga, Th- I got cousins, I got cousins in Thornhill too, a little closer, maybe where you're living. Ooh, it's
0: I yeah. Well, Verk's going to take care of all the recommendations. I don't have yet. many friends yet, so I'm looking to expand. Yeah. All right, Joe Tessitore, thank you. Thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Joe Tessasore for really an illuminating conversation on what went down with the Monday Night Football process. And now let's head to Richard Sandemir, the author of The Pride of the Yankees, Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper, and the Making of a Classic. All right, as I said at the top, Richard Sandemir is the author of Pride of the Yankees, Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper, and the Making of a Classic. That book has now been released in paperback. Head to Amazon or your local bookstore to check it out. For 25 years, Richard Sandemir covered sports media. And sports business for the New York Times, he now writes obits for that publication. Um, obituary writers at the New York Times are kind of a fascinating lot. Richard Santamir, welcome to the sports media podcast.
2: Thank you, sir. How are you?
0: Back in the day, Richard, we could have done two hours on the latest sports media topics, but in this case, we will. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll We'll stick. We'll, st- we'll, stick at, uh, we'll do one one topic at the end of this, but uh, okay. we'll start with your book. All right. So, why did you decide to write a book? about the pride of the Yankees um, in 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 current time. Why is why do you, why is this an important story for us in 2018?
2: Well, I think Lou Gehrig is sort of an eternal an eternally good subject to write about. There's dignity, there's courage, there's a great ball player, and I was reading a biography of Samuel Goldman by Scott Berg some years ago and uh, you know, most books don't spark me to want to write a book of my own, but I was reading a passage where Goldwyn, who knew nothing about baseball and had rejected an idea to do a Gehrig movie, was sort of cajoled into watching the newsreels of Gehrig's, of the day that Gehrig gave his luckiest man speech on July 4th, 39. And uh, you know, you can imagine Goldwyn being you know, kind of annoyed that uh, Niven Bush, the story editor who was a baseball fan, was cajoling him to sit in the screening room and, and watch the newsreel. And the newsreel is you know can be boring to a uh, non-fan because there's marching bands, there's speeches, uh, gift giving, and but at the end, the last two or three minutes, there's Gary giving his speech, and when the lights go up, uh, Goldwyn's eyes are tearing up; he's crying, and uh, he says, "Run it again." He watches it again, and he you know the lights go up, and he tells an aide to go find Jim Mulvey, his number two guy, to negotiate a deal with uh, uh, with Eleanor Garrick. So uh, you know. The book, the idea for the book started there and it just kept haunting me. Uh, I had one aborted uh, proposal that went nowhere. Actually, two that went nowhere, and I just knew that I had to get into the Goldwyn Archive, and I could only get into the Goldwyn Archive until I got a book contract. And once I did, the archive at the Motion Picture Library in Beverly Hills is just filled with it, it, scripts and letters and correspondence, and you know the mother load of uh, you know Eleanor Garrick sitting for two weeks and pouring out her life uh, on, a, on her own end with Lou to Paul Gallico who wrote the first script so you know there there is there it was three quarters of the book was right there it's
0: it's interesting because that's interesting Richard. because my what i'm really uh, what i wanted to go at least early in our discussion here is research because that's kind of what i'm Mm -hmm. fascinated about your book um those who do books on obviously things that happened in the past the 1700s the 1800s there's such an there's such an awesome process to try to track down everything you can, and then you make some of these discoveries. It's like an archaeology dig where Uh you get so excited that you find something. So, okay, so you had this place, obviously, which had a treasure trove of stuff. But how did you go about it? Do you you create some kind of flow chart like here's – I'm going to do some research in New York City. I'm going to – i 'm um, going to go to Los Angeles because obviously Hollywood is based there. How did you what was the game plan heading into the book to, that, that you because obviously most of the people who are part of this book have are deceased you can 't yeah, talk I mean, to Lou Gehrig.
2: Yeah, 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 certainly there, there was only one cast member from the movie is still alive he 's the the guy who played the little kid uh, the crippled kid in uh, the hospital wow. and i couldn 't track, track him down. And I was able to talk to Gary Cooper's daughter, who's 75 or 80 years old, and you can tell me anything about Gary Cooper, and that was great. She was a great resource. But once I got to got the entree into the Goldman Archive, and there's a lot of other archives at the Motion Picture Library, it's just this wonderful place where you sit in the Catherine Hepburn reading room, you walk up the Kirk Douglas stairway, you're in the Balfour <laughs> Lobby, and it's just wonderful. It's a great research place. So... Um, in advance of going there, I gave uh, the archivist every possible topic that I can think of—you uh, know, contracts, letters, uh, you know, all sorts of things that that I would hope would tell me the story. So when I get there, I spent a the week there for the first time. Uh, they just rolled out this uh, this, this cart with a cor- big fat accordion envelopes. And they would give me one after another. I'd finish one, and they'd give me another. I'd wear white gloves, because there's some fragile documents. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I couldn't use a pen or a notebook. I either, you know, had to uh, use a laptop or a pencil and, uh, and, 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 and notebook. And so I had my laptop. And one file after another, it was just astonishing. You would uh, What I what I'd hoped I would find at the bottom was various scripts that would tell me how the characters developed. I not only got that, they weren't all intact. They, they were you know, 30 pages of one, 50 pages of another. I'd already gotten from a collector the, fi- the final script. but And that was the only primary material I had before I walked into the archive. But. You know, as you go through it, you see little tidbits. you see letters between uh Eleanor and Goldwyn. Uh, you see correspondence involving Christy Walsh, who was one of the first sports agents who represented Ruth represented Garrig and she re- and he represented Eleanor in negotiations with uh, with Goldwyn. He became a publicist on the on the film, and also he was this wonderful letter writer gossipy, you know, mistakes all over his typewritten letters, and he would tell, tell gossip what's going on with Babe Ruth on the set of the movie and all that kind of stuff. And also, leading up to the shooting the movie, he would tell you that, you know, Goldwyn was on the warpath about there being too much baseball content in the script. So this is all wonderful stuff, and as I said, I found this... A document where Eleanor sat for two weeks with Paul Gallico, the future writer of the Poseidon Adventure, who had been the sports editor and a sports columnist for the Daily News. And he he and she got along very well. They sat in San Francisco, and she just, she said, she, she told her life story. And this is well before she wrote her autobiography, My Luke and I, in the 70s. Hmm. So she's saying everything. And what one of the things I got there was the clear belief that if she didn't voice her animosity towards Lou's mother, we would have seen a less, we would have seen a much brighter uh, characterization of Mother Gehrig and Pride of the Yankees. But they hated each other. At least from uh, we don't know what what, what uh, Lou's mother thought of Eleanor, because it's not written down. But we know plenty about what uh, Eleanor thought of uh, of Mrs. Garrig. So uh, you got that. You got all these things about Lou going on a two-week bender in my, the minor leagues, and, you know, uh, and that was proposed as part of an early script, and it was taken out. So you see the moving parts uh, of the movie gradually move along. And uh, I would just email my agent and, and my editor, and I would just say, holy crap, look what I'm finding. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And I went back for a second week a few months later, mainly to find pictures and, uh, most of them just a treasure trove of publicity shots, some of which I licensed. And then I came across these sketches and it's a sketch, you know, sketches of everybody in the movie and they're by Gary Cooper. And Cooper had been a commercial art major at Grinnell college. And he probably would have been an artist if he hadn't been, uh, you know, a, a stunt man and an actor. So, um, so then, you know, uh, that, that's really the, the time I got there, two weeks, was exactly what I needed. Then one day while I was in my hotel room uh, during my first week there, I, um, I, I was just Googling around, and I found a recording of a friar's roast of Cooper in January of 61, and he was dead by May of 61, and it was like all of old Hollywood. And uh, Dean Martin, Tony Martin, the Georgia Jessel, uh, Milton Berle was totally unhinged, uh, you know, uh, Audrey Hepburn, and they're all paying tribute to him. Uh, some of it was very roast-like tribute, but some of the women were definitely in love with him. And uh, at the end, he says, uh, he, he merges his two most famous things that he could say, that he said in movies. Uh, you know, he said, if anybody thinks I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I say, Yep. So there's the cowboy terseness of the yep and the luckiest man reference, and so I called up um, uh, his daughter and I said, Maria, you know, are you aware of this? She said, aware of it. I was there. Who's the Holly you know, Beverly Hilton and you know big charity uh, event? And sure, my dad was there, and um, and he was basically dying at the time. He didn't know how severe his illness was, much as Eleanor didn't tell Lou how severe his illness was. So the research. Uh, It kind of culminated when I was talking to Hall of Fame people, the researchers there who, you know, are are wonderful. And um, they said, you know, Eleanor left most of her papers to us. We'll just give you a data dump. (laughs) <laughs> well, there were even more letters there. There, there. there was all sorts of stuff. So, you know, and, and, and I must say, Jonathan Eig, who was, a, who was the author of the uh, more, most recent biography of Gehrig, also gave me some, some not only some paperwork, but also a lot of guidance. So it was the research. Uh, it, if there was not this research, there would not have been this book, because, as you said, there was nobody to interview.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um... I looked up—I um, was curious, like, how popular Pride of the Yankees was when it came out. Uh-huh. And uh, in 1942, it was the seventh highest grossing film, yeah. uh, $8 million in box office receipts. Can you give me a sense, just based on, obviously, all your research, um, at the time, how, it, how big a movie was it? Were, is, are we talking—it uh, would be water-cooler conversation for people at work? Can you give me a sense of just how popular it was in 1942?
2: Well, on one level, at least from Goldman's point of view, it was his highest-grossing movie to to date. Wow. So he'd been in the business since uh, the silent era, so it, 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 it wasn't his highest-grossing ever. But up to that point, it was his highest grosser. Um, it wasn't a blockbuster. Uh, you know, I think as much as he tried to make it not a baseball movie, not a sports movie, by emphasizing the romance and the courage of of, of Gehrig... Um, you know, sports movies—it was—it still probably labeled a sports movie despite his best efforts. So, you know, if if people think it's a sports movie, maybe they're not going to go for romance. If people think it's a romance, they might not go because they don't think it's a sports movie. So, you know, I, I think it—I think it did well. It had uh, some interesting marketing they had uh, it opened up in forty theaters simultaneously in the new york area in area um, It was at the Astor uh, theater, which it was one of the biggest of the time so uh, you know it was a big deal and uh, you know towards the end of the book, I note that. When it premiered in Hollywood in August of '42, it was the very last Hollywood movie that got the big, you know, lights in the sky treatment because in wartime, uh, wartime regulations had uh, ordained that there not be these big uh, nighttime lights in the sky thing as protection against uh, enemies coming in off the water on the West Coast.
0: Uh, I want to ask you one more question about the book, and then just a quick sure. one. We'll finish with John Skipper, because that's obviously somebody who is a very yeah. prominent figure in your um, sports media writing. Um, Eleanor um, Gehrig signed a contract with Samuel Goldwyn to make a movie about Lou's life, essentially a month and a half after he died. Yeah, um, yep. Lou Gehrig died at age 37, 15 days before turning 38. Um, how, at least based on your research... How common would it have been for the widow of somebody well known to sign away, uh, or to sign the life story? Like, was was Eleanor ahead of her time in trying to get a movie about Lou's life done, or was that still commonplace that if you if you were the keeper of somebody some somebody famous, you could sign away their life story? I just I found that really interesting that she well, yeah. business wise yeah, 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 yeah. she did that so quickly after Lou passed.
2: Well, she did did it quickly because there was interest, Uh, you know, and with Christy Walsh working for her, he was both, you know, agent and publicist. I don't think it was very commonplace because I don't because there weren't that many you know based on a true story movies back then. Remember, there 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 weren't many sports movies up to that point, and I I don't think there were many movies based on somebody's real life uh, where somebody had to uh, sign a contract to do it. Goldman probably could have gone ahead without her, but he wanted her help. Yeah, of course. So no, I I you know I don't think so. I mean there wasn't a torrent of interest in between early June and, and early July. Apparently, um, David Selznick was interested, MGM was interested, um, and uh, it was Niven Bush's showing the newsreel to Goldwyn that made him interested. So, uh, no, I, I, you know, it wasn't a, a huge amount of interest, but if it was going to happen, it had to happen then, because uh, after that, interest would fade, and and certainly it would fade even more so because the war was going on. There was, uh, there, there, there was so such a push to make movies about uh you know, the war in Europe, the war uh you know, what was going on stateside, what was going on in the Pacific. So, you know, a great percentage of movies uh in, in, in that time were were about the about the war. So I think this would have gotten swallowed up and I think Goldwyn was shrewd enough to hire Damon Runyon to write that early, that, that scroll that comes right after the credits at the start, that sort of places Gehrig in the world of, of people who, who died before their time, uh, connecting him to the men on the battlefield who were losing their lives seven months into our um, uh, involvement in the war after Pearl Harbor.
0: It's pretty amazing. Lou Gehrig died in '41. It's 2018. He's still a pretty... Um, he, he's still a figure of renown and a figure of interest. That's that's yeah. I mean, it's,
2: it, it, and, and I think a lot of that is because of pride of the Yankees. Uh, there is there is very little video of him uh, or newsreel uh, film of him. Uh, there's more of Ruth because the camera was always on Ruth. Right. Uh, there's very very little of, of Garrick speaking. Uh, there's no uh, full copy audio or newsreel of the of the speech. There's no actual copy of the written speech because I don't think it was ever written. Um, so uh, I think one of the one of my beliefs is that uh, Gehrig's life and his speech is perpetuated greatly by that movie I
0: want to finish up Richard with John sure. Skipper this mm-hmm. um, in your career covering the New York uh, covering the New York Times I would love to see you cover the New York Times but no in your career covering <laughs> sports media um, he is absolutely among the most prominent figures for you um, you are Time there spans obviously a lot of on-air people from the Madden Summerall years to Costas, mm-hmm. but maybe outside of Ebersol, Dick Ebersol, maybe I don't know if there's a bigger sports media executive who plays more into what you wrote about than John Skipper. So you covered his ascension, you covered mm-hmm. his years at ESPN, and you but you were off the beat when yep. he ended up resigning over um, what he said was uh, an extortion plot. That involved his cocaine use. I wonder if you can just encapsulate um, where you see the skipper legacy, because he obviously had successes at ESPN. He had some failures, but now you have to analyze this, um, throwing in how he left the place. It just, I, I, it's still, I guess, to 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 me, it still is stunning to me that a guy in that position, one of the, you know, arguably the most powerful uh-huh. person in sports. Ends up leaving that position for the reason for the reason he did.
2: Yeah, and and it, you know, having left uh, the sports media beat in at the end of 2016, the departure of Skipper is the only story I wish I'd been able to cover. Interesting, the only one. You know, I, I've. I found my you know I found a new world and you know I was I was it was getting a little stagnant for me so uh, I'm very happy doing what I do I don't pay much attention to to sports or sports media anymore but the skipper story resonated a lot and when our friend Jim Miller uh, got this exclusive on, on why it was that John left uh, so abruptly I was, I was envious and uh, as most of us who have or still cover the beat uh, should have been because he got the story I knew he'd get the story uh, so I, look I think the legacy of Skipper uh, I, I think for those who covered him is that of a guy who I think was available to most of us, who, if I sent him an email, he'd get back to me very quickly. If I asked for an interview, he would, you know, but I but I was working for the New York Times, and I'm never mistaken, and you were working for SI, and, right. you know, those of us in the top 10 media outlets were probably, uh, you know, given... Preference to everybody else. For sure. I mean, if I weren't working for the New York Times, he wouldn't have called me at like a quarter to ten on that day when he decided to fire Bill Simmons. Um, if I were working for Newsday as I used to, I'm sure I would not have gotten gotten the call no matter how friendly I was with John, uh, business wise. So, uh, but I think his his legacy is, uh, I think it'll be forgotten a little bit uh in terms of the editorial content uh and i think it'll it'll hinge on whether he did enough to stem the loss of subscribers uh i think that is the ongoing story there and uh you know he did a lot of things he was uh, much much more involved in the pub, as the public face of espn than george bodenheimer was George was a you know an affiliates guy and a sales guy, and so you didn't go to him for great pronouncements on Jason Whitlock or or, or Bill Simmons. Uh, he was a straight business guy and he did his best not to say anything that was worth quoting. Hmm. Uh, like Eversole, uh, uh, Skipper was immensely quotable and immensely available. And again, I work for the Times, so I know I know why he was available to me. So it was uh, I think. Uh, Look, as like as a media person, he was wonderful to work with. And you know, when Mark Shapiro left, I thought, oh God, that there'd be nobody there who would get on the phone and explain things to me and tell me things either on background or on the record. But you know, John, in a very different way, uh, you know, in that kind sort of southern gentleman way. Uh, but he was just as hyper competitive as mark was he was uh, he was he was a joy to cover if only because of his great availability and and his loquaciousness um you know, Mark used to call me in the middle of negotiations. Wow, you know? uh, yeah. wasn't 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 yeah. calling me? I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we bonded a lot on on when he was kicking the NHL out the door. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And like, like like I said, John was John was immensely available. And uh, you know, it's I don't think people remember much about the Bornstein legacy except that he was so difficult to deal with. Uh, uh john was John was the very opposite and uh you know the the, the, the you know in a way the legacy is what you see on t v is mostly you know influenced by him, but it 's going to be influenced by patero now it 's going to be influenced by how they program e s p n plus so uh you know it, it, all these executives no matter how good they might be are Kind of disposable.
0: Last one, um, and I'm curious, just given that you've now shifted into another role, you're writing obits. Um, for those who are a fan of obituaries, like myself, I love the Economist obits. Uh, mm-hmm. Margalit Fox, that she, she she was your longtime colleague. She's did she uh, retire from the Times or leave the Times? No, in, in, in June. In June. Yeah. Basically, this woman to me was like the Jordan or LeBron James of obit writing. <laughs> I mean, just in, incredible. Um, but Richard, as you look at the sports media. Reporter slash writer, that's critic slash columnist. Um, Where do you see that job heading forward? I, I think for those of us who care about this space, it was pretty heartening to see that the Washington Post is ha, is creating a new position where they're going to have a full-time sports media writer. That's one of the great finally. publications in the... Yeah, right, finally. One of the great yeah. publications in the country that makes a statement to me, saying that they believe that the content can be monetized, that there's interest in the content. Um, the Times has people in your role now. They certainly do different things than you do. Um, I'm doing what I do at the Athletic Sports Business Daily. Still does great stuff. You've got you have people who are writing media at uh, the Dead Spins and the big leads and the awful announcings. So uh, you know, got some local people still mm-hmm. really good, like Barry Jackson, Chad Finn, obviously in Boston and Miami. So where do you where do you see this? Do you th- is there growth for this position? Is this no, are, I don't, I, no I, growth? I, okay, I,
2: I really don't think there's growth. I think it's great that the Washington Post is finally going to replace Len Shapiro in that job. Um, but no, it's. When I started in '91, there must have been 30, 40, 50 people doing this. Not all of them full-time, but it was, uh, you know, the LA Times. Every major paper had one. And uh, when I started, um, I was always told, you know, the job was a combination of sports business and sports critic, uh, sports media critic. Uh, So yes, some of what's been lost uh, in, in, in newspaper columns has been made up by the blogs. But I think it's going to be at, a, at, a, at a, a kind of a small boil of people like yourself in uh, Iran uh, doing this stuff. I don't, I don't think it's a growth area for newspapers because the newspapers having all the troubles they've, they've been having. I always thought that a sports media writer was a luxury, and that when uh, bad times came, that would be a job that would not be uh, seen as essential anymore. So, um, and even, you know, in my last year's... Uh, covering, uh, uh, covering sports for the times, my boss, my newer, newer boss, uh, wanted me to do less, uh, sports criticism, sports TV criticism, which was, you know, it was, I had mixed feelings about it. I felt like I was repeating myself. I was looking for ways to, uh, to change what I was doing, but you know, my opinions are my opinions and announcers are announcers. So, um, so, you know, and that's certainly the editor's prerogative to tell me to do something different. Uh, Twenty-five years, or twenty-two or twenty-three years at the time, is a, is a long time to do pretty much the same thing. So I, I don't think, except for the most enlightened editors who want something like this and see that most people view sports via the TV or some sort of screen now. Correct. Uh, and my belief was always that I, I, you know, I think I'm doing a service to people. Uh, much like the regular TV critic does. And for many years, that was the way I did it. And again, editor's prerogative. You want me to do more sports business? Okay, I can do that too. But uh, but ultimately, you know, I was... Uh I was getting bored, and another job came along.
0: All right. The editor, By the way, the editor who told you there's not interest in this is incorrect, but that's a discussion for a uh, <laughs> for a longer day. Richard Sandemir is um, the author of The Pride of the Yankees, Luke Gary, Gary Cooper, and the Making of a Classic. That book is now out in paperback. Um, check that out either at bookstores or on Amazon. And then if you um, are interested in what Richard is doing today, just uh, do a Google search for him or head to his um, archives at the New York Times. He is now one of the obituary writers, and you will see his work uh, every couple of days of somebody who has passed away who is notable. Richard, uh, it's good to catch up with you. I wish you uh, uh, continued success at the New York Times and with this book, and um, thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports
2: Media Podcast. Thank you, and best to you uh, with the radio radio gig and, and the athletic. <laughs> Thank you
0: very much. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Joe Testor, who came um to the west side of Manhattan to tape this in person, which is a totally champ move by him. He's got a uh, boxing seminar coming up later today uh, either at the Garden or somewhere else, so I really appreciate him doing that. My thanks to Richard Santamir. Lou Pellegrino, as always, is the producer of this podcast. If you like this stuff, please go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, sign up, and subscribe for this. Last couple podcasts, we had Peter King on his decision to leave Sports Illustrated, Doris Burke on her upcoming contract situation at ESPN, and Uh, The amazing work she does as both an analyst and a sideline reporter show. Reeve, GM of the Minnesota Lynx and coach about the dearth of women's basketball coverage in the country. Before that, the legendary Vern Lundquist, Jason Stark, and Ken Rosenthal. Check that all out at the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. Again, thanks to Lou Pellegrino. Thanks to Joe Testor. Thanks to Richard Sandemir. We'll see you again on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.